Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. And if you would, please take out your Bibles. Take out your Bibles and turn in them in the Old Testament, actually the very first book of the Bible, to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 39. Genesis 39. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under a chair near you, and you could take that Bible and turn in it to page 30, and you would be at Genesis 39. Now, I don't need to tell you, but, you know, we live in a culture that is prosperous. It's also a culture that is sexually immersed. And sexual temptation is a daily issue for us in our culture. And knowing all of that, it should be no shock to us that in our society, sexual infidelity is on the rise, Sex outside of marriage is reaching epidemic proportions. This is the society in which we reside. I want to give you one illustration of this. It's actually a a page of a website uh, entitled Ashley Madison. This is actually a website designed for married people. And one of the things it says there is life is short. Have an affair. And it goes on to say that Ashley Madison is the world's leading married dating service for discreet encounters. In fact, they guarantee that they are a discreet site. And listed on that particular slide is a number. That number now is at 24 million, over 24 million satisfied anonymous members. This is where our culture is going, men and women. We are sexually immersed, and sexual temptation is a daily issue. I want to give you some statistics, share some statistics with you on infidelity in our culture. Here's what it says. 74% of men say they would have an affair if they knew they would never get caught. Three-quarters of the people around us who are male think that way. The percentage of men and women who admit to infidelity on a business trip or with a coworker is at 36%. And 46 to 62% of individuals report that they met their extramarital partner at work. That's where infidelity is taking us. And this isn't just for married people, this problem. The problems with cohabitation in our culture are amazing. The number of unmarried couples in the United States has increased 800% since the 1960s. And more than 60% of first marriages are now preceded by couples living together. And nearly half of women today, 48%, choose cohabitation as their first union. We live in a culture, it's prosperous, yes, but it's sexually immersed and sexual temptation is a daily issue. Now, We're not the first culture that's had to struggle with this. Egypt, at the time of Joseph, was a prosperous culture. It was a sexually immersed culture, and sexual temptation was a daily issue. And so when we consider our society today, our values when it comes to sexual purity, 
Could there be any more relevant section of the Word of God for us to look at than the one we're going to be looking at today? And we want to talk today, as we look at the life of Joseph, about handling temptation. We've been in a series of messages that we've entitled, Hope Through Hardship, Lessons from the Life of Joseph. And now we're going to draw some lessons from him on how to handle temptation. If you have your Bible open, I would like to read from chapter 39, the first 10 verses, and invite you to follow along in your Bible as I'm reading. Verse 1 says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house, and all that he owned he put in Joseph's charge. It came about from the time he made him overseer over his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. There was no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now, as we look at this section of the story of Joseph today, we're going to be looking at five different things. First of all, we're going to spend a few moments looking at God's blessing in verses 2 to 5. Then secondly, we're going to look at the temptation slash test in verses 7 and 10. Then we're going to look at Joseph's response in verses 8 and 9. Then we're going to see the trap in verses 11 to 12. And then we're going to summarize the providential outcome of all these things in verses 13 to 20. So we want to begin by looking at Joseph's story and learning how to handle temptation by by examining God's blessing. Do you know that one of the biggest contributors to our failure with temptation is that we lose sight of God's blessing? It's one of the most common things that we do when temptation crosses our path. And you remember that that Joseph is taken to Egypt and he's sold to Potiphar, who is, in verse 1, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard. Potiphar was the director of the secret service for the most powerful man on the face of the planet. And some sources tell us that the one who filled this role was also the chief executioner 
of the country of Egypt. And you remember, we've already talked about how God's presence with, was with Joseph. We see it in verse 2, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, Potiphar saw that the Lord was with Joseph. And you know, this was a guy, a Hebrew guy who was bought as a slave. And no doubt when he started out, he was only given menial tasks in the household. And he was no doubt closely supervised. But the Lord was with him and he was faithful in what he did. And slowly things began to change. In verse 4, Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and became his personal servant. And Potiphar made him overseer over his house and put all that he owned in Joseph's charge. And it came about from the time this happened that the Lord blessed, see the words here, the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in the house and in the field. God was blessing Joseph in significant ways. And as he's faithful, what's he get to do? Eventually, he's setting his own schedule. He's administering all the finances of Potiphar's household. He's the one now who's doing the hiring and the firing, which reminds me of a principle that Jesus shared in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, where it talks about he was faithful with a few will be in charge of many things. Sometimes we forget that, that faithfulness in a few things qualifies us to be in charge of many things. And that was true in Joseph's life. I mean, you want to talk about a platinum Egyptian express card? He now had access to that. He was running everything in this man's household. God had blessed Joseph. And you know, God has blessed us. And so often we lose sight of that. God has blessed us in the material realm. We just forget it. You know that one half of the world, that's about three billion people, one half of the world makes less than $60 a month. Men and women, we have been blessed in the material realm by God. 90% of the people in this world do not own a car. If you own a vehicle, you're in the top 10% of the world. You see, God has blessed us. Materially, he's blessed us. And spiritually, he has blessed us. And we could spend all week talking about that. How even though we were rebels and we didn't know God, he sent the Savior to bleed and die for us, to earn forgiveness for us, and not only that, to just basically welcome us into his family as an heir in our eternal destinies. We are blessed people. But it's very easy to lose sight of that when temptation crosses our path. I want you to notice a couple of things in the flow of the story here about Joseph. First of all, think about what Joseph was going through. Remember, he's sold into slavery. His brothers hate him. They talked about killing him. The Ishmaelites take him down to Egypt. He's, he's bought as a slave. He's thinking his life is over. Now look what's happened. God was with him. And what was going through his mind? The worst is behind me. Man, it was a rough road. It was a tough road. But the worst is behind me. I'm having great success. 
And sometimes we go through periods of great success and blessing in our own life. And what does God choose to do with Joseph here? He's going to interrupt the life success of Joseph to accomplish God's superior plan in his life. And sometimes he does that with us. I was talking this week about someone who had just told me the week before, everything's going great. Then this week, everything unraveled. God will interrupt our success to accomplish his superior plan. Second thing I want you to notice in the flow of all this is this, that temptation is most dangerous to us in times of prosperity and success. When we're really experiencing the favor of God and everything is going well, that can be the most dangerous time for temptation in our life. Why? Because we begin to feel confident. We, we almost have this idea, I don't, I don't really need God that much right now. Everything is going really, really well. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10 and verse 12, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Well, let's move on and look at this temptation slash test that we see here in chapter number 39. Now, you might be saying, no, wait a minute. I thought this was a temptation. Why are you calling it a temptation slash test? Well, it's interesting if you look at Psalm 105 verse 15 where it's talking about these events where Joseph is sold as a slave, and it says there, 105 verse 19, that the word of the Lord tested him. You have a, a Bible with a margin. My margin says refined him. It, it's actually the Hebrew word for smelting, where you would take a metal and you would heat it up, and the whole process is that you would remove the impurities and so part of what was happening here was that God was testing Joseph. Remember, Peter mentions this in his first chapter of his first epistle when he says, there are times in our life when our faith will be tested by fire. And the aim is that we should go through the test and ultimately have it result in praise and glory and honor to our God. So what we're about to see is a temptation, yes, Satan was involved with it, but slash, it was also a test because God was utilizing it. Now, that's a little bit of a mystery to us. In James chapter 1, verse 13, it says that God tempts no one. God's not the one doing the temptation, but in his providence, he is able to utilize a temptation in our life to test our character and to test our faithfulness, and that's exactly what happens here. I like the way Phil Tuttle put it. He put it this way, like a weightlifter working up strength and muscle capacity for years, we have to be able to carry the weight of our destiny before God ever lays it on our shoulders. That's a process. He goes on to say this, so God repeatedly and persistently chisels on the character and qualities of Joseph, and he does that with us also, to prepare us for a time of authority, responsibility, influence, and everything else he has planned. So it's a temptation slash test. And by the way, when we're talking about temptations, this, this is an issue of sexual temptation, but the temptation slash test the temptation part of that can vary. 
You know, there may be a time in our life when we have a certain temptation and it's really a test from God, but it may be different than this temptation. It may be a temptation to embezzle money. That's a temptation from the enemy, but also a test from God. Or a, a temptation to drink more than we should. Or a temptation to be involved in recreational drugs. Or, or, or a temptation to go with the guys to a gentleman's club, if there was ever a misnomer. Or a temptation with the kids at school who've learned some tricks on how to cheat. And, and, and the temptation is to cheat, but it's also slash a test. Or a temptation to take a tour of the dark side of the internet. So I just want you to know while we're looking at sexual temptation here, the principles that we're going to see have a broad application to the whole arena of temptation. Look again at verse 6. It says that Potiphar left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him he didn't concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. But then, notice the last phrase of verse 6. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was in great shape. He was a head turner. He had the biceps. He had the abs. He was a candidate for the Egyptian GQ magazine. And we don't know his exact age, but we know that he was likely at this point in his early 20s. And when you're in your early 20s, that's a time of strong sex drive. Now, some of us here today are a little bit past Joseph's stage. I mean, some of us are more likely to appear on the cover of ARP magazine than on GQ magazine. But there's still some principles for us here. Now, notice in verse 7, it says, It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, Lie with me. Now, when I was studying through this passage, I noted that a number of the commentators asked the question, was Potiphar's wife attractive? And I, I see that question, I think, are you kidding me? Potiphar was extremely prominent in this society. He was really, he had the number two position, you know, the guy that's the director of the Secret Service, who's the one who protects Pharaoh. This guy had his pick of women. I have no doubt that Potiphar's wife would have been the leading cast member in the real housewives of Egypt. I have no doubt about that at all. It came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and said, lie with me. You know... I think we have mistaken notions about the lure of affairs. Sometimes people think the, the lure of affairs, is, it's all about sex drive. A, a big part of the lure of affairs is the admiration and the flattery that comes our way. A big part of the lure of affairs is the affirmation and the, and the compliments that come our way. And I have no doubt that Potiphar's wife, you know, she laid on the perfume. Chick, 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 chick. Man, you could smell her coming, you know, 40 feet away. I have no doubt that she dressed sensuously, that she had on the, the latest low-cut blouse. 
I have no doubt that when Joseph came her way, she looked at him longingly. There was this extended eye contact. I have no doubt that she complimented him on his bill. I have no doubt that she would make excuses for hanging nearby him. Oh, Joe, you're so good at what you do. And eventually, she said, lie with me. I want you to notice verse 10. Notice it says, she spoke to Joseph day after day. This wasn't just one encounter. Day after day after day after day. And this Egyptian housewife was used to getting her way. And it doesn't take a lot of imagination to think that she would say, Joe, 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 come sit with me in the recliners. Let's just eat some grapes and talk together. No doubt she, when she would pass him in the hallways, she would make sure she just sort of brushed against him. No, no doubt she would say things to him like this. You know, Potiphar doesn't really meet my needs. I'm lonely. And knowing how much he acknowledged the presence of God in his life, she probably said something like this to him. I'm lonely. That's probably why God brought you into my life. Now, now what is the natural tendency in our flesh when such a thing is happening? I know what the natural tendency of my flesh would be. I mean, I'd be leaning in in my flesh. That's what my flesh would want to do. They say, man, she smells great. And come to think of it, I am stud-like, you know? (laughs) Why are you laughing at that, huh? (laughs) It hurts my feelings just a little bit. You, You know how we start to rationalize in our flesh? I mean, you know, she's married to the boss, and you got to do what the boss wants to do. You can rationalize, well, you know, no one's really going to know what, what happened. I mean, what happens in the bedroom stays in the bedroom. We could rationalize, and, and, and think about Joseph. He could say this, you know what? I've been through a really difficult era. I mean, you just don't know what it meant to me, you know, for the hell, my brothers reject me. They talked about killing me. Then they sold me to a bunch of weirdos in a caravan, and, and I was lonely, and I felt rejected and, and hurt, you know. Uh, I'm only human. And he could have been rationalizing this way. You know what? Guess who's in charge of all the household staff schedule? I could have arranged this where everybody's gone, and it's just me and her. And no doubt he could have rationalized this way. Sure, God blessed me. But what harm is a bad choice or two? Well, look at Joseph's response. Verse 8. By the way, when you're talking about how to, to respond to temptation in the Bible, as you look at the passages on it, you're going to find three verbs that pop up over and over again. I want to give them to you. One is the the verb avoid. We are to avoid temptation. Number two is resist. We are to resist temptation. And the 
third verb that pops up is that we are to flee temptation. So get a handle on those three verbs because when we're dealing with temptation, we ought to be thinking about how can I avoid, how can I resist, how can I flee? Well, what does Joseph do? Verse 8, it says, but he refused. That's resist. He said no. And when, when you look through these passages, when he resists and he says no, he has quite an in-depth response. Now, that tells me something. It's rather obvious to me. And that is that Joseph thought this through ahead of time. He had begun to formulate in his mind, how am I going to say no? How am I going to resist? And how am I going to explain why I'm resisting? I like the way Max Lucado put it. He said this, years ago, a friend gave me this counsel. Make a list of all the lives you would affect by your sexual immorality. And he says, I did. And every so often, I reread it. Denalyn, my wife, my three daughters, my son-in-law, my yet-to-be-born grandchildren, every person who's ever read one of my books or heard one of my sermons, my publishing team, our church staff. And he says, this list reminds me one act of carnality is a poor exchange for a lifetime of lost legacy. And then he goes on to talk to us. He says, dads, would you intentionally break the arm of your child? Of course not. Such an action would violate every fiber of your moral being. Yet, if you engage in sexual activity outside of your marriage, you will bring much more pain into the life of your child than would a broken bone. Moms, would you force your children to sleep outside on a cold night? By no means. Yet if you involve yourself in an illicit affair, you will bring more darkness and chill into the lives of your children than a hundred winters. And you, single man or woman, you wouldn't desecrate a Bible or make a mockery of a cross. Yet when you have unmarried sex, you disregard one of God's holy acts. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. Verse 8, but he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. He's put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. He says, no, I'm saying no. Number one, because it would be a slap in the face of Potiphar. He was looking at the horizontal relationships in his life. And he says, Potiphar has withheld nothing from me except one thing, and that is you. It somewhat reminds me of Adam and Eve in the garden. There are all these thousands of trees there. You may have all of them, but there's just one thing, this tree that you're not to eat from. And Adam and Eve, of course, said, well, you know what? I, I got a better idea than God does. I don't think truth really applies to me. 
He said, I don't want it to be a slap in the face of Potiphar. You see, Potiphar trusts me. And that's what happens when we get into illicit sexual situations. There are people who trust us, and we break that trust. He said, I'll explode. Potiphar's trusting me if I do this. Second thing, he says at the end of verse 9, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? It's not only a slap in the face of Potiphar on the horizontal plane, it's a slap in the face of God on the vertical plane, my vertical relationship with God. You know, Paul says to young Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, he says, pay close attention to yourself and your doctrine. You protect yourself by being aware of where you're coming from and what it is that you believe. And what Joseph believed about God and his holiness and his awareness of what God had done and how he had blessed his life made all the difference in the world. Pay close attention to yourself and your doctrine. What are you believing? And Joseph knew that God was sovereign and he understood that even when God is sovereign, we are responsible for our right choices. Now, I want to tell you what I think Joseph's ultimate secret was. It's a little phrase. Here it is. This was his ultimate secret. Do what is pleasing to God. Well, you're talking about what happens on the job, what happens in school, wherever it may be, do what is pleasing to God. Again, in verse 10, she spoke to Joseph day after day. The rest of the verse is so important. He did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Now we have avoiding going on. He was avoiding her as much as he could. He returned no attention that she gave to him. He gave her no reason for hope. When she texted him, there was no text exchange back. Do you see how in this situation, there were boundaries he was setting up? He wanted a little buffer zone going on. That's avoiding. For some of us, we need to do that. We need to do a little more avoiding. Need a little more boundaries, a little more buffer zone. Maybe that means there's no more HBO, Showtime, and Cinemax coming into our house. That's what you do is you avoid that. Maybe it means we get a covenant eyes filter on our computer. We avoid the temptation. And one thing, men and women, we need to avoid is intimate contact. I'm not talking about sexual contact. I'm talking about intimate connecting with people of the opposite sex to whom we're not married. For years, as I've been sharing with families at, and couples at uh, the Weekend to Remembers, I tell them, do you know how most affairs start? It begins with a word that starts with L, and they always guess everything but the right one, which is the word Listen. That's how most affairs actually start. Someone starts listening to somebody else of the opposite sex. And then they're just, they get more in-depth and intimate in their conversation and they're sharing more and more. That's a big problem. We need to avoid that. Well, look at what comes out of this in terms of the trap that gets set. It says, now, verse 11, it happened one day that Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household were there inside. Oh, someone else had let everybody go for the day. And verse 12, she caught him by his garment. 
In those days, what would happen is if you were a guy, you would wear something like this. It, would, it was a little bit like Bermuda shorts. And then you would have this long shirt tunic that you wear over that. And she grabs him by the shirt and the tunic. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. There we have the third verb, flee, to run. She grabbed him. He's been trying to avoid her. He's resisted her and said, no, now it's time to run the other direction. You know that it is not possible to succumb to temptation when you are running away from it. You can't do it when you're running away. Well, then we have the providential outcome of all of this. He runs out. He leaves the garment in her hand. He goes outside. And notice verse 14. She called the men of her household and said to them, See, he, who's he? Potiphar is brought in Hebrew. She played the race card. He brought in a Hebrew to make sport of us. And he came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. I think she probably did scream. You know, a scream of frustration and a cry of rage that he had rejected her. And so she says, you know what? There was sexual assault. Look at verse 15. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me, fled, and went outside. So she left his garment beside her until her husband came home. Then she spoke to her husband with these words, the Hebrew slave, you know, that guy of that other race, whom you, Mr. Potiphar, brought into us, came into me and made sport of me. And I raised my voice and screamed, and he left his garment beside me and fled outside. There was sexual assault. Verse 19, now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Now, I think part, if you really look at this carefully, I think part of his his anger was about the accusation of this betrayal. But remember who this guy is. He is likely also the chief executioner of Egypt. If he fully believed that Joseph had tried to attempt a rape of his wife, what do you think he would have done? The next morning, he's a goner. I really think that part, the largest part of his anger was towards his wife. This stinky Hebrew that you brought in here to make fun of us. This was a public accusation this real wife of Egypt was making. Everybody knew what was going on, and now Potiphar is forced to send to jail the one who had blessed his entire household. Interesting how all that works. Well, look at verse 20 and 21. So Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And I just want to freeze for a moment. Think about what just happened. If you had an opportunity to play God, if I was going to play God from here, how would we have done this? Well, I would have said, hey, let's unravel the whole scheme right now. It's not Joseph, it's her. That stinky wife of yours. I, 
I would, if I'd been in charge, I would have said, let's reward Joseph now. What a great response he had. But God operates in a different dimension. And God was still out to develop and deepen Joseph and to equip and prepare Joseph. And think of it from Joseph's standpoint. Everything that he'd been through, man, I thought the worst was behind me. Now what's, my reputation is nuked. My future is nil in this culture. It's hopeless. I lost all that I'd gained despite the fact I made the right decisions. I had done nothing wrong. I passed the test with flying colors. And yet this is far from fair. How can this be be good? Sometimes when we take a stand for what's right, you know what? We might end up in prison like Joseph. Or we might end up losing our job. Or, or we might end up being ostracized or ridiculed or abandoned. How are we supposed to respond when evil appears to have its way? Well, David shared some information about that. Who knew a little bit about evil triumphing in his life for certain periods? In Psalm 37, verses 5 to 9, here's, here's what we do. When evil appears to have its way, commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only leads to evil doing in your life, for evildoers will be cut off, but wait But those who wait for the Lord, they will inherit the land. See, what Joseph didn't know right now is that this setback was actually a setup for God in his life. God's ultimate plan is that he would rule over all the estates of Egypt. Now, we're going to close, and I want to talk about two things as we close today. I want to talk about two key takeaways to take away from this message. And then I want to talk for just a brief moment about an insight regarding God's heart in these matters. And and what are the two takeaways? Well, I think if you're going to take away anything, remember the three key verbs. Avoid, resist, flee. And as we're struggling with temptation and temptation crosses our path, we need to think about how should I avoid, how should I resist, and when should I flee and run in the opposite direction. Avoid, resist, flee. The second takeaway is Joseph's ultimate secret. When we're facing temptation, to remember his ultimate secret, do what is pleasing to God. Don't forget that one. Now, some insight regarding God's heart. And as I share this one, I'd like to encourage the worship team to come and prepare us for a closing song. No doubt some of us are here today, and in the past, there have been some poor choices in the sexual realm. Maybe in the past, you have become entangled in some sexual infidelity, and maybe you're just feeling that all is really lost, that there's no hope. The black mark is there, and I can't erase it. I just want to share God's heart is different from that. That's why Christ came. That's why he died, to bring us 
and earn us forgiveness. And so if we've got some of that in our background, just remember that while we may need to repent, which means that we change our mind about what we've done or been doing, and it leads to a change of action in our life, but we should always remember what it says in 1 John 1, 9, that he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins when we confess our sins to him and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even when there's failures, he's there to pick us up. Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you so much again for the life of Joseph, all that we can learn from him. What an awesome story. We would pray that we wouldn't walk out of here the same as when we came in, that we would be better equipped to honor you as temptation crosses our path. Thank you for being a God who's there to heal and to help. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.